Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hey, welcome. It's good to be here virtually with you today. My name is Caleb Ingram, and some of you we may have met, we may be familiar with each other, but some of you we may not have. So uh, I'm very thankful for the opportunity for Pastor Mark inviting me to preach. Uh, Now I said yes, I think it was a little bit of a bait and switch because I said yes, and then he said, great, the series is Revelation. So we're going to jump right in into a Revelation series today. Uh, But before that, I wanted to introduce a little bit more and share more of myself. Um, I do serve with a, a ministry, a nonprofit called Declare, and what we do is we focus on uniting churches to declare God's glory through praying together, worshiping together, serving the community, etc. I've got a wonderful wife and three beautiful girls that many of you may have seen. If you've been here at the Valley, we actually uh, have been a part of the Troy campus just a few months since the launch, uh, and then during this Last year plus, uh, with COVID, we've been doing the Valley at Home with a number of friends, uh, more like kind of a house church style together, just studying, praying, worshiping together. And that has been a, a really rich season of just growing together. But it's good to be back here, um, to be able to be in, in the building. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to worship with brothers and sisters. Um, so a couple other things about me as I introduce myself and lead into today's topic is uh, there's not a lot of things I'm afraid of, but there are some. There's a couple. So one of them, the first one, I'll, I'll start easy, is I really do not like getting stung by bees, yellow jackets, hornets, whatever. Uh, and honestly, it's been a long time since I have been, so it's not like it happens to me all the time, but when I was a kid, I remember I was seven or eight years old, maybe, and I was playing in some little rocks and by the side of our house, and I didn't see a hornet, and it stung me. Growing up in New Hampshire, we had hornets and whatever, and so it stung me, and I just, I, I still remember that, and whenever I see a bee or a yellow jacket or whatever, I just, uh, Morgan, my wife, can attest to this. I try to get away from that, or I try to find the fly swatter and exterminate it. Those are basically the two options that I have at my disposal. Uh, but then I'm also, the other thing that's a little bit more serious, I really, I do not like medical procedure stuff or like needles, especially needles, just not my thing. Uh, You could maybe say I'm afraid of them. I really, really do not prefer them. So one story to illustrate that, like this is true story, actually happened. So my daughter Haven, who she's five now, but when she was about a year and a half old, She'd recently learned to walk and was running. Um, she was a, a little bit delayed in learning to walk and run. And so we're so excited. She's running around the house. It was great. It was getting later, about time to put her to bed. And the next morning, I was actually flying out early to go to a friend's wedding. And she's running around the house and she slips as she's running and she falls and she hits on her forehead just above her eyebrow, the baseboard trim right under one of the doors. So it was like a 90 degree corner. It wasn't rounded or smooth. So she hit it and she gashed the skin above her eye and her eyebrow and started bleeding quite a bit. And we looked and we realized, that's a pretty big cut. We should take her to the hospital. So we get to the hospital. She's there. We're doing fine. She's crying. She's sad, but she'll, she'll make it. I'm holding her head. I'm comforting her. And Morgan's there too. And I'm like, you can do this, girl. And I made a really bad mistake. I look down. So I'm like this far from her face. And I look down and I see the needle that is stitching 
just going through like her forehead and the skin. I could see the blood. I could see the, the pokey needle with like the barb on the end. And I'm like, no, you can't do this. Not to my sweet girl. And then I didn't remember her anything after that until I was like on the floor because I passed out. I really did pass out. And as Morgan tells it, I apparently kind of fell sort of on her and the nurses had to like, she had to get me on the floor and the nurses had to get crackers or whatever. We all live to tell the story, but that, that's a true story. So that, that's a little bit about me. Um, and uh, as we talk about fear and being afraid this week, one thing that I want to just leave you with to think about as we get started is a friend of mine, just this last week we had a conversation. He was talking about how he often feels afraid or anxious of things. And he was on the phone with his mom and his mom said, do it afraid. Don't stop. Even though you feel anxious, do it afraid. So we're going to come back to that idea. But that's enough about me. So what about you? Want to get to know you a little bit. What are you afraid of? Think about that. What's something that you find yourself fearful or afraid of? Now, first, to kind of warm this up, I'm going to share a few examples of things that, believe it or not, people are actually afraid of. So here's three examples. Look this up. Real deal. Not messing with you. Um, there's, of course, like there's a official name and a phobia for, for pretty much everything out there. So one is arachibutophobia. Did not say that right, but you get the point. What do you think that is? That one is actually fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I mean, it does sound pretty traumatic. I'd hate, you know, I mean, it's happened to me. It doesn't taste good. So some people are afraid of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. That might be you today. Some people, next one, globophobia, which is actually a fear of balloons. Not personally me, but I have heard that some people are afraid of clowns. Maybe, I don't know the name for that one, but maybe the people who are afraid of clowns are also globophobes. You never know. Then the final one is hippotomonstras equipedeliophobia. This is the best because what that word actually means, this is real, I promise you. Look this up. Look it up yourself. This is the fear of long words. I mean, who does this? You pick the longest word and it means the fear of long words. It's just so great. So anyways, there's those. Maybe that's not you, but there's something. I bet there's something that you find yourself anxious, concerned about, or maybe even afraid of. Now, why do you think about that? We're going to come back around to that. So we're in Revelation, and Pastor Mark has been sharing about what God's Word says in Revelation. He's shared the historical background. Uh, a lot of people are maybe afraid. Speaking of fears, a lot of people are actually afraid of the book of Revelation. I don't know if that's a revelophobe or what that is, but they're afraid of the book of Revelation. They don't want to study it because it makes them anxious when they read it. But as Pastor Mark has shared, and as I would also agree as I've been studying, that God actually wrote had Revelation written and shared it with us for a reason and purpose. And one of those purposes, I believe, is to actually help us find hope. So I pray that today that you actually find hope through this message. He covered the context from Revelation 1. He got into all the juicy stuff, the mark of the beast in Revelation 13. I'm like, come on, man, you took the best. That's all right. But a more serious point, one thing I believe is to fully understand Jesus. So one thing he emphasized is this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not the revelation of the dragon that we read about the dragon and the mark of the beast. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God wants to reveal to us more of who Jesus is through this book, and he does. And I think that's really key because in this book in particular, we, we read more that gives us a full holistic picture of who Jesus is. 
One thing I've noticed just about culture and society uh, in the years that I've lived, and I'm younger than some, I'm older than some as well, but is that we tend to do like pendulum swings in culture. So whether it's like a theological view or a political view, if we're over here, we're in this camp, let's just say, this is what we believe. And then we realize, oh, that wasn't right. Or we realize our parents' generation wasn't right. We're like, that's terrible. And we go over here and we're like, we're the right ones now. And we just kind of swung to the other side. Example, one place I personally think we've done this is there are many, not all, but many churches, many preachers um, at one point, maybe some decades ago, would often you hear the good, repent and believe and you will be saved. And this is how hot hell is and you sure don't want to get there because hell is so terrible and you don't want to be away from Jesus, do you? You should know Jesus. And that was kind of the, the kind of hellfire brimstone version to scare the bejeebies out of you until you found Jesus. And so... I don't personally ascribe to that approach per se, and I know many others that don't, but I think some younger believers have been like, that's not it. So instead, Jesus is love. God is love, and he's only love. He's all love. That's who Jesus is. And I think if we're honest, we can realize that from, from Scripture, Jesus of the Bible, Jesus through the Gospels, Jesus through Revelation, we get the full picture of who Jesus is. And part of that is revealed in Revelation, so it's important that we're here. Because the God of love is also the love of justice. The God of mercy and grace is also the God of truth. And so this is part of what gives us that full picture. So this message in particular, I'm going to be zooming in on chapters 2 and 3 first, and then zooming in a little bit farther on chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, which is the letter to the church in Smyrna. But context, what's going on in chapters 2 and 3? Jesus is basically dictating letters. So it's, these are red letters, and people talk about, I, I want to follow the red letters. Well, here are some of them, two chapters of red letters, Jesus speaking and dictating these letters or tweets, to put it in kind of modern-day terminology, these short, succinct messages to each church. Two chapters, and he addresses seven churches within them. So not a ton of information. It's pretty packed in there. And the seven churches are um, the church of seven cities, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There are seven large cities of the day in Asia Minor, which that actually is still a contemporary term, but many of us, including me, weren't quite sure what it meant, so I looked it up. And basically, it's western Turkey. It's the, the peninsula there, like the far side of Asia, if you will, Asia Minor, um, modern-day Turkey, is where all seven of these churches actually were across what is now uh, Western Turkey. So that's where the seven churches uh, were. They were postal cities. They were cities of influence. One interesting thing to note here is that the most common way in Scripture that we see the church addressed was the church of a city or the church of a region. Oftentimes today we're very focused on denominationally what is happening or what's happening maybe like this author that we like to follow what their church is doing and their influence or like our local church and our local brand. God can work through all of those, but the way God typically addressed the church was the church of Ephesus, the church of Philippi, the church of Smyrna, the church of Troy, the church of Miami County, the church of Greater Dayton, the Miami Valley, etc. That was the common way that Jesus looked at the church far more than in denominations. Just something to note, and that's part of our heart and vision even is declaring uniting churches to function as God called us to as followers of Jesus in Troy, the church of Miami County, etc. Um, so that's a, a crucial understanding of the church. There's a unique message to each church, but there are also themes. 
some of the themes I'm going to share with you in, uh, in each of the seven letters or tweets to the churches, there were commendations and then there were corrections. There were things they were doing well that he encouraged and affirmed, and there were things that needed to be uh, rebuked and needed to be repented of. So I'm going to start. Here's some of just the themes throughout those seven letters in chapters two and three to the churches that he commended. He commended their works, their patient endurance, rebuking false teaching, holding fast to his name and the truth, their love, their faith, and their service. Those are some of the things that Jesus affirmed. So we can think about, are, are those the things that embody us as the church? And if so, Jesus would say, well done. I, I affirm your faithful service. I affirm your love and holding fast to the truth. But he also corrected the churches. And some of the corrections that we find in those seven churches were that they had abandoned their first love. They had allowed false teaching, sexual immorality, that they appeared alive but were in fact spiritually dead. They were lukewarm or self-sufficient. And though these letters were specifically to these seven churches, there's a sense of completeness, the number seven symbolizing completeness, and that Jesus was writing this message to the church holistically, and I think there's truths from it from 2,000 years ago that are still true today. And if we're honest, I think we can admit that many of those characteristics of being self-sufficient, of being lukewarm, of having the appearance on the outside of being put together but actually spiritually dead, are true of maybe our lives personally or our local church or of the church of Troy in Miami County. And there's opportunity for us to repent in those areas and say, Lord, forgive us. Let us be on fire for you. Let us be surrendered to you completely. Today, I'm going to be focusing mostly on this letter to Smyrna, which was a strategic port city in Turkey, right there on the far western side. And it's actually still there. This is the modern city today of Izmir in Turkey. You could look it up. You can Google it. You could potentially go visit it at some point. I don't know what the travel restrictions are, but um, you could go, go there, Izmir. And it's a, it's a large city, actually, with a population of over 4 million people. So it was a large city for its day then, probably not that large due to just world population, but um, is today still a very large influential city with, with over 4 million people. Now, I'm going to start by just reading um, this address to the church in Smyrna. I'm going to open in prayer as I, I read God's word. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that you wrote to the church in Smyrna. Thank you that there is truth from it that we can still learn from today. I just pray that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Revelation 2, verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So that's the passage. We're just going to break it down one verse, one line even at a time. So from the beginning, Revelation 2 verse 8, it says, it began into the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? So the angel, 
Let's go right in. Let's pick one of these words. Uh, one really cool thing is with modern technology, it's pretty easy to look at what the Greek and Hebrew words are. In this case, we're in the New Testament. This is Greek. So you can go to BibleHub.com like I did this week and just be like, okay, what's that word angel in Greek? So I looked it up, and it is uh, Strong's number. That's how they classify them, 32, agalos. And it is angel or messenger is how it's most commonly translated. And it can mean, it often means a heavenly messenger, like an angel, as we think, like Gabriel coming. Uh, but it also can be a, a human messenger, someone who's just delivering a message. Now, I don't think we actually have enough indication in the text that we know for sure who we're talking, or is this a spiritual angel? Is this a heavenly angel? Is this like a person? Is this the pastor? Is this someone who brought the letter from city to city? I don't think we can prove that, so I'm not too worried about that. But I think there's an encouragement here, just a reminder that in the church of Smyrna, just as in the church of Troy, Miami County, and beyond, that there are both uh, spiritual, heavenly messengers, angels that God has assigned for our protection against the attacks of the enemy, and he has appointed messengers and servants and shepherds, elders, pastors to proclaim the gospel and to shepherd the flock, God's people all of us followers of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. God has given both heavenly and earthly messengers. Later in verse 8, it says, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus had the authority to speak about fear. He faced it. He was ostracized by his family. He was misunderstood. He was threatened. He was tempted. He was murdered killed, all of those things. He, he gets it. A good friend of mine has shared with me over the last few years, he says, it's about the messenger more than the message. And the first time he said it, I, I was like, but if it's true, it's true. If the message is true, it's the message. Come on, anybody can say it. But I realized we hear things differently depending on who says them. A stranger, we might not put a lot of stock into what they say, but if it's someone we trust and a good friend, then we will really listen to what they say. There's a lot about who the messenger is. Do they have the authority to speak into our lives that way? And I would say that Jesus, on any topic, someone who died and raised to life again, like they've got a lot to say about just about anything, including facing fear and facing death. So he has the authority to speak on this topic. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say they were Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Three things here, tribulation, poverty, slander. Early Christians didn't have the easy life. They just didn't. If you read, if, if you just read through, you see amazing miracles and you're like, yes, this is amazing. Look at what God is doing. And then you're like, oh, they're being persecuted and stoned and, and killed and slandered against again. They're, have, they're afraid for their lives, literally not sure if they preach the gospel, they're going to be put in prison. Like that, that was the life and the experience that they were having. There are challenges. There are trials in life today. I don't want to downplay that, whatever that may be for you. But I think it's important for us to remember just as much as Jesus had the authority to speak about fear, even when facing death and trials, that the church he was writing to understood what that really meant in a very real way. And if that message was true for them, which they were experiencing, it's certainly true for us today. There may have been things in the last year and a half for us in the church and in America, just in the world, that were very difficult and unpleasant. And there are parts of the world where very real persecution to the point of people being jailed and put to death is a real thing. 
Thankfully, that is not what we're facing right now, certainly not in Ohio. Things may be unpleasant, but God has been very good and very gracious to us. And so if these messages are true for a church that's facing straight-out persecution and affliction, they're certainly true for us today. One interesting note is at the end where it says the slander came from those who said they were Jews but are not. The, the slander actually came not from people who were proclaiming atheists or another religion of the day, but it was actually from those who were professing to be part of this religious group but really weren't. And I just thought it was interesting as I read that. Uh, so one of the things we did as Declare is after tornadoes hit all around the Dayton area, many of you remember, and West Milton even in Miami County, we helped mobilize a lot of the churches to respond, to serve, to clean up, to deliver furniture, whatever else it might be that was needed. And so we had been doing that. We built relationships with nonprofit leaders that were not faith-based organizations. They were just serving in the community and the region as well. And at some point, a few months in, we got feedback from one of the nonprofit leaders who was not a Jesus follower, but that one of the other church leaders had come to her and had said, why are you working with that Declare group? Because have you read their core beliefs? There's things there we don't agree with and we don't think are good and you should not work with them. And thankfully, the nonprofit leader actually said, well, I know them and I love them and I know their love for us and I know their love for people who have been impacted by this. I'm going to keep working with them. So it's just very interesting that the biggest pushback we got from that individual and multiple others were actually other church people. There is sometimes persecution that comes from outside forces, but it's just interesting there and even some of what I've seen, some of that challenge comes from even within the church. Verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. We will, we will face challenges. The message of Jesus wasn't come to me and it's easy from here on out. And we need to understand that because if, if we don't, if we invite people or if we ourselves were invited into this, this relationship with Jesus with that understanding, at some point later we'll be very discouraged and very disillusioned. And we've, we've seen this firsthand at times where if you're told that you will never have challenges and a loved one will never pass away, when inevitably it's time for us to pass from this life into the next or for a loved one to do so or someone has been sick or in a car accident, we don't know how to reconcile that in our heads because we, we believe that Bad things won't happen to us if we follow Jesus. But then when they do, we think, but is God not good? And so I just want to make it clear that what, what God teaches in Scripture is that we will encounter trials. So I think part of what God is doing in this passage in Revelation is He is warning us and preparing us. He doesn't want us to be caught completely off guard that as we follow Him, just as He suffered the invitation of following Jesus. So if you follow someone, you experience what they experience. Jesus was perfect he suffered, he was persecuted to the point of death. I'm not sure why we think we can follow Jesus, but have the easy way instead. That's not the way Jesus had. That's not the way that the early disciples had. It's not the way that we're going to have either. So he is warning us like, hey, it's not all going to be easy. You need to be prepared for that. But he's also not just letting them know their challenges. He's encouraged them, exhorting them to push through. So it's kind of that do it afraid concept. We may feel afraid, and we may feel like we can't do it, but I'm convinced that every human being feels fearful 
and feels anxious at times, like they cannot possibly take the next step forward. But that's when I believe we need to, through the power of Christ in us, say, I'm going to do it afraid until we're not afraid anymore. But even though I feel that fear, I'm going to take that step of, of saying, devil, you will not have this by saying, I am going to do what God is asking me to do. I'm not going to stay stuck anymore in fear, but I'm going to take the step even in the midst of my fear, to say, I trust in the Lord and he will walk with me through this. And some of you today, that might be right where you are, that you're just still right there and the enemy has you trapped in a cloak of fear and of anxiousness. And I don't want to discount that, but I just want to say, Jesus is inviting you to step forward. And you don't have to wait until the anxiety is gone to step. He's inviting you to step out of that, trusting that he will lead you each step. This brings up an important understanding and clarification that I think we've honestly struggled with a lot over this year is the idea of fear versus wisdom. And when we do things, what our motivation is. Um, So an example, I'm not sure if any of you have caught wind of this, um, but over the last year, I've seen people arguing about masks. I mean, you probably have not seen this, but like Some of my friends, I saw some of this, so we run in different circles. But here's the thing. It's easy to make assumptions so the people who maybe were against masks, if they saw someone wearing a mask, the assumption was, you're afraid. You're wearing a mask because you're afraid and you don't need to be afraid. We have faith in Jesus. You don't need to be afraid. And then sometimes the people who were wearing masks assumed, like, if you didn't wear a mask, then you're not loving. You're not loving your neighbor. You obviously don't care about people. So, like, we're just making assumptions from two different perspectives. But really, just by what someone, whether they're wearing or not wearing a mask, you can't actually tell what's in their heart and what their motivation is. There are some times, I am sure, I, so during the course of the COVID experience, there were times that I was afraid of the virus as I was driving someone to be tested. I was afraid, and what if I get infected? What if that happens? I felt fear, and I had to talk with the Lord about that. And there were times that I was afraid of government response and political response and what was going on, what was going to happen in our future. There are times I fell on both camps afraid, and they were both the wrong answer because fear, regardless of what's going on, is not what Jesus is asking us to. So there are times that we can do something out of wisdom, knowing Jesus said there will be trials. So you may get in a car accident, so you can buckle your seatbelt if you want because it will lower your chances of, of dying in a car accident. Now, if you're afraid every time you get in your car, then that's something to submit and repent to the Lord. But if you're just wearing one because you think it's wise to wear one because you don't want to die in a car accident and not be there for your kids or your grandkids or something else, there's nothing wrong with that. So we really have to look into the heart to see is this is a fear response or is a wisdom response? If you're sensing there's this conflict and consternation in your heart around it and that's causing you to do things, that's a motivation of fear that we need to repent and leave before the Lord because fear truly is a terrible motivator that will lead us to make a lot of decisions that are not the heart of Christ. Um, Also, just discerning between faith and foolhardy. Uh, there's sometimes people make decisions and, that are just dumb decisions and they put Jesus' name on it. And so Jesus looks bad, but it's Jesus up there like, I didn't tell you to do that. Like, don't put my name on that. And the, but there are other times that the Holy Spirit does genuinely prompt someone to do something that doesn't make sense. And it really is the Holy Spirit. And if it is, he'll prove it. But again, it's in the heart. Nobody else can know or judge that for us. 
but it's an encouragement to trust in the Lord. And there's actually a story of this, Paul in Acts 21, verses 10 through 16. Um, there's a prophet that comes, like a legit prophet comes, and other church leaders are like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you do, what's going to happen is you're, gonna, you're eventually going to die. And Paul says, you're right, that very well may happen, but I've counted the cost, and I'm willing to follow Jesus and do what he's asked me to do, even to the point of death. So he wasn't in denial. He wasn't being foolhardy. But he also didn't allow the fear of what very well may happen or probably would and did happen to him keep him from doing what Jesus had asked him to do. So we need to walk in peace and not out of fear and also in faith and boldness and wisdom. The next piece of that verse says, Be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We can't understand this passage without understanding this reality. Jesus conquered death and has, through his life and resurrection, given us the power to face death without fear. This message would fall flat and not be biblically faithful and not ultimately encourage you in your most difficult moments when you or a loved one is on the verge of passing from this life the next. And through Jesus and him conquering death and giving us eternal life for all who would repent and believe in Jesus, we can face death with peace and not fear. So our comfort isn't that nothing bad will happen to us or that that tragedy will never take place. Our comfort is that no matter what is happening to us and no matter whether in this life or the next, that we are in the presence of the Lord. We have eternal hope. And God says there even be a crown of life, God's reward for those who are faithful in trials, which is also referenced in James chapter 1 and verse 12. Verse 11, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What voices are we listening to? What voices are you listening to? Depending on what voices we fill our heads and our hearts with, we can be almost guaranteed we will live anxious. We will live afraid. The news media on any political persuasion does not exist to speak truth and to speak peace into your heart and your life. And so if that's what you're filling your heart and mind with when you watch it, I would just ask when you're watching or reading or listening, do you find yourself filled with peace, filled with joy and comfort? And if not, then I would say be very careful how much of that you allow into your heart and into your mind because what we feed ourselves with, what we fill ourselves with, is what we will find ourselves living out and speaking out and feeling. But if we make space, if we allow ourselves to keep those things out for long enough and to fill ourselves with the Word of God and to just be with the Lord, and that might look different for each of you. For me, I, I like to walk, to go outside and walk, sometimes listen to music and just walk and go for a walk with Jesus and just say, God, what do you think about this? And I try to stop and I try to listen and God pretty much never just tells me a sentence out loud, but as I walk, He brings truth to mind. He reminds me that he's there with me and he fills my heart with peace and comfort even through the most difficult times this year when I was so confused and so 
overwhelmed. He who has ears to hear makes space to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's the end of verse 11. Christ has given us power to face every fear and every tribulation, even to the point of death, with hope. Just as Romans 8, 37 and 38, that people love to read about, that nothing can separate us and that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. If you keep going, it actually talks about nothing, including whether it's sickness or death or demons, even though verses before it says that we're actually being persecuted to the point of death, that's, that's the context that it's in. But it's saying in the midst of that, nothing can stop us. We are guaranteed to be victorious overcomers, whether in life or death. The devil and his schemes cannot stop the destiny that God has for us. We're more than conquerors, and we will not be hurt by the second death. So what's the second death? Revelation chapter 21 in verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So now I sound like those old school preachers I was talking about that go hellfire and brimstone. But here's the thing we need to realize that according to Scripture, as faithful as I can understand it, there is eternal life and there is eternal punishment. We will either be with the Lord or separated from the Lord. But when we were in Christ and when we have confessed our sin to the Lord and said, Jesus, we need you come and make me clean, that he redeems us and he renews us and he forever charts the course for us to be with him in peace and paradise for eternity. And so let me read about that. If that is you today, this is the promise that we have that nothing can separate you from. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If we keep going, it says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is the promise that we have in Jesus, that in either life or death, persecution, trial, sickness, loss of a loved one, children that aren't walking with the Lord, that we can trust and rest in the Lord, that He is good and He is faithful. So let's bring this around full circle. What are you afraid of? What do you find yourself anxious about? We can't do this alone. All of us face temptation and struggles and challenges and loneliness and all of those things at some point. We need to walk this together. As we know Hebrews 10.25 just talks about not forsaking to gather together and to tie it into Revelation, it says, and even more as that day approaches. So I'm not going to go kooky on you and tell you what day he's coming because I don't know that, but I know today is a day closer than yesterday. He is returning to not forsake gathering together. That 
coming together in that house church has been such a source of encouragement in a crazy year that we needed. And I would feel so overwhelmed just coming together, worshiping the Lord together and just eating food and fellowshipping together with brothers and sisters in Christ was so important. So I'm, I'm glad that you can watch this online, but I would encourage you and even exhort you and challenge you if, if you don't have a community that you are being with in person, growing with in Christ, please, would you find that? Would you call a friend and say, hey, can we get together? Start somewhere. Let's find hope together in the God who gives us the power to overcome fear and death. I would love for you to take some time, take a few minutes maybe right now, and write down, actually write down, name the thing or the things that you find yourself most consistently worried and fearful and anxious about. God already knows you can be honest with him. Maybe it's just us starting to be honest with ourselves. Write it down. Write down when you find yourself just so overwhelmed and you can't stop the thoughts swirling around. What are those things that come to the surface? And then this week, I want you to ask the question, what does the Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit say to the church? What does the Holy Spirit say to me about this fear, about the situation I just wrote down, what does the Holy Spirit speak into it? What does the peace and truth of God's Word speak into the situation? Not the noise of maybe friends who are giving bad advice or media and other influences that are overwhelming, but to remove those and say, Holy Spirit, give me ears to hear what you would speak to me about this and to find peace in His presence. Father, I pray right now that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the churches, what your Spirit is saying to the Church of Troy in Miami County, even to the Valley Church, even to our hearts specifically. Would you remove those distractions? Would you give us the discipline and the courage to not continue to invite those overwhelming and all that noise and all the clutter that we don't need in our lives and in our hearts and our minds. Would you give us the wisdom and the boundaries to be able to say no to that and instead to have space in our, in our calendars and in our hearts to be filled with the truth of your word and fellowship and encouragement with brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray for those today who are just so overwhelmed, so fearful and so anxious and maybe feel they can't talk to anybody about that. Lord, I pray first that you would meet them right where they are, that they wouldn't feel more judgment because now they're living in fear, but God, that they would just hear you inviting them to say, release that to me today. Walk with me today. Walk in freedom and in peace and joy. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.